Hi, Stu. <laughs> Hi, baby. I didn't mean to sound like, <laughs> <laughs> I sound like I'm doing promos for the Spice Network. Hi, Stu. <laughs> it's just that time of night. We're recording at a It is. It is spooky hour. hour right now. I know. It's very It's And you know and it's a full moon. Outside. Is it really? It's a full moon, baby. No. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. Oh, so this is an extra spooky case then. Well, like I said before, when we first got on, I was like, I'm happy you got yourself a cocktail because the cases that we've been covering the last like few episodes, I wouldn't call them light cases, but they're all relatively whimsical for us to discuss. Like we have some happy endings with like the Chanchilla case. We've got the Wizard of Oz, which was more like fun to talk about behind the scenes stuff. I'm going to tether us back. (laughs) I was going to say, you know, my ass has been feeling... It hasn't been as sore lately. <laughs> well, you just wait. Well, this is um, how do we even get into this case? Let me pull up the research so I don't uh, misspeak here. Well, have you heard of the names Chris Kramers and Lisanne Froon? Have I ever talked to you about that? I feel like I must no. at some point. No. Very interesting. So, if you remember, and I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll bring this up later. When I came to visit you in D.C., I was having like a little panic moment because my sister was going to Costa Rica with her best friend. Did I, Mm -hmm. do you remember that like vaguely? I was freaking out about it because of this story. Because I had just covered this story and I was losing my mind thinking, because she was planning to go to Costa Rica and, you know, travel and do all the sightseeing, but specifically she was going to hike in the rainforest. And that is what this story is about of these two girls. God. (laughs) God. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the mysterious case, too, of Chris Kramers and Lisanne Froon, I truthfully find to be one of the most... Oh, wait. Hold on. <laughs> I... Creepers, welcome to Creep Time, the podcast with Silas Why didn't you stop me? Why did you stop me? <laughs> because I just... I had my me. spooky voice on and everything. <laughs> hey, but joking? I think I just wrote our themes, our uh, intro song. I know. Can, can you remember it? Creepers. Creepers, welcome to Creep Time with Celestine and Stu. I'm going to have Ivan spin that into like, a, oh, I love the little like button at the end. I, yeah, I do imagine the theme song to this podcast to be something very close to the theme song for the nanny. She was working in a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens. She, <laughs> what a boy what was she to do? One of those crushing scenes. Okay. Yeah. What was she to do? She, would, she was out on out her on fanny. Her fanny. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. For us to go from that to then talking about child murder or something <laughs> of the sort would just be Nobody quite else an interesting doing it. shift. I know. Be different. Dare to be different. But yes, thank you for reminding me. Welcome to Creep Time, the podcast with Silas Dean and Stu. We're back for another episode. This is going to be coming out on Friday, although we are recording it on a, what day is it? Tuesday. Dare to be Crazy. different. <laughs> Crazy. That's why the energy is... The block is hot. That's all I'll <laughs> the say. Block the block is, is hot. hot. <laughs> I want you to know I just kicked something over on my floor and knocked over an entire an entire basket of Q-tips. Good. The energy is like we came in like we just came in hot. I think that's why I'm saying the block is hot because I'm coming in hot. You're coming in hot. I came in like I told you like a bat out of hell and I ripped yeah. my pants off. I like came home and <laughs> ripped my pants off. And got on this podcast. And I'm just energized by it. I am too. Well, okay. So now that we've done the intro, thank you so much to the Creepers for listening. Um, 
one quick thing before we jump into the story though and this is like purely anecdotal it's my own thing just about yeah. like listening on spotify i don't you, you listen on apple podcasts right that's i what do. You do i'm a psycho i no, that's not psycho a lot of people do that um I just prefer Spotify, but I recently started because for all the pods I listen to, I started using the bell notification. So it gives me a, like um like a notification every time there's a new episode. So invaluable for me, for someone who like does yeah. not remember to go and check when there's a new episode. I've been living. I'm hitting that bell for everybody. I get like 25 Spotify notifications a day. So creepers, if you're listening and you want you don't want to miss an episode of Creep Time the podcast, make sure you hit the bell notification. And that is my pure my pure plug for that solely because I use it and I enjoy it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what I do because for all my favorite podcasts on Apple, I definitely get notified too, like a like a screen notification when new episodes. Mm. But I think you just have to subscribe. So creepers subscribe on Apple. Yeah, it's probably as simple as like an opt in <laughs> or something on Apple. Where, yeah, yeah. The second you're just automatically getting that notification. I think on Spotify yeah. they give you the option or something. But I it changed my life. I was like, oh my god, now I can finally keep track of everything because I'll go yeah. weeks and forget about a podcast. I know it's so nice. Perfect. Well, all right. I'll tether us back to Chris Kramer's and Lee Sanfrun. Now, as I was saying, this is a story that I find to be like one of the most haunting that I've ever heard. It's definitely eerie. It's technically somewhat of an unsolved case, but it's just generally a haunting story. Like it, it's unnerving to listen to partially because, you know, we're still left without answers to this day, but I would say mostly because of this evidence that was left behind by the girls. And I'm going to get into it. It is this unusual circumstance of these two college age girls who took a trip to go visit Panama where they were going to be volunteering. And while they're on the trip, they experienced what we could only assume was a nightmare scenario. They're like trekking through the rainforest in Panama stew. And it's believed at some point while they're on this trail, it's the El Pianista forest, actually, they had moved off the trail either by accident or for an unknown reason deeper into the woods. And they were eventually lost by nightfall. So data and evidence that would later be recovered from their phones showed all of these pictures on the the camera, um, as well as particles of clothing, and eventually even skin and bones, which completely set the stage for this story to be a lot darker than what I'm sure you were imagining. Oh, my God. This is the unsolved case of these two girls. Sinister. Sinister setup. Sinister, and you know what it immediately tied me to was um, Delphi. Like, just that same... Mm off the trail you're with your i'm assuming like good f- girlfriend and best friend yeah oh god skin the age difference is a little bit but uh, yeah yeah skin. when i get into the specifics of how that was found it is so deeply disturbing and it adds a lot of context to you know how we're framing this case and what really went on in those woods yeah so let me just give you a little bit of backstory just about who chris and lisanne were so both of these girls, they were college age. Chris was 21, Lisanne was 22, and they grew up in Amersfoort, which is in the Netherlands. So they were both Dutch. Now, the research described that both of these girls, I think they worked with each other in a restaurant in college. And this was where they became very, very close friends during this time. Chris Kramers had just recently completed her education, where she studied cultural science education with a focus in art education, Lisanne had also just completed her education with a college degree in applied psychology. 
And she was described as a very gifted volleyball player in college. She was actually about six feet tall. Now, the girls, they had this close relationship, and they considered each other their best friends. And in fact, I think just weeks prior to the trip, they actually moved in together in like a dorm-style apartment. (laughs) They were each described as smart, caring, like responsible young girls. They never showed any signs of strange behavior or any mental illness or anything of the like that could explain some of the unexplainable in this story. Now, just about six months prior to this trip, this was when they first started the conversation about wanting to go on this trip, wanting to go visit Panama. It's like this dream location to visit. It's halfway across the world. So they started to save up for this over the course of a few months. The trip was actually supposed to be like a partial vacation, but also like a trip of service. So they would kind of, it was kind of like a work away. Did you ever do that in college or did you know friends who did that? Like a workaway kind trip where like of. you, that's like, like almost like go. a mission trip, but it's uh, maybe not like a mission. Cause that like, that feels very like Mormon to me. But yeah. Like religious <laughs> connotation. Um, yeah, definitely. It's more like you would go and like work on a farm in Hawaii yeah. and the trade off is that they host you. So you yeah. get to like be in Hawaii and yeah. You know, okay. You, yeah. You save up a little bit of money so you can like see the countryside and stuff um, or see the land exchange the, student kind of thing. Very exchange student. Yeah, that yeah. was the the vibe here is that they were going to save up so they could make this partially for vacation, partially for a volunteer opportunity to teach in an elementary school. I think they were teaching art um, or s- something similar, but they would be volunteering. And as a trade off for that, they get hosted by a family in a city in Panama. So that's the setup. Now. They're incredibly excited about this, as you can imagine, taking this trip. They had planned it for months. They knew exactly where they wanted to go, all of the sites they wanted to see. And they even started taking Spanish lessons ahead of time because they were so excited just to leave the Netherlands and, you know, go explore Panama all the way across the world. So what exactly happens when they do leave for this trip? On March 15th, 2014, the girls had boarded a plane just the previous day and after a very very long series of like transfers and ferries and boat rides and planes i think it's over like 20 hours of travel they finally arrive in panama now they had planned to arrive just a little bit earlier than when the volunteer project was actually going to start that way they would have time to do like a little bit of vacationing like they could sightsee and they would end up touring panama for a total of two weeks until they eventually make their way to the city where they would be volunteering and where they'd be hosted by the family. Which it kind of, this sounds like a dream scenario if you're like 21, 22, right? Oh God, yeah. I would love to do something like this. I'd still love to do something like this. Oh, definitely. Especially coming from like the Netherlands to Panama mm-hmm. is like just that change in climate. I'm sure they were so excited. Like, It sounded incredible. I mean, Panama yeah. is an absolutely beautiful country to visit as well, but they had really, they had geared up for this for quite a while. And we know a lot about their time there, especially in those first two weeks, because the girls had actually kept diaries, each of their own. So the first two weeks, they kind of chronicle um, a lot of what this time is like. And most of their time is just like day in, day out, sightseeing, like learning about the culture, meeting up with other tourists who are there, meeting up with locals. I mean, they're really not on a schedule. They are just touring and having a vacation. It sounds incredible. Yeah. Now, the two weeks would pass, and eventually they arrived in the city of Bocate. I believe that's how it's pronounced. Bocate, Panama. 
and they get there by March 29th when they finally meet their host family and they get settled into where they're going to be staying while they're volunteering. So they were set like set to stay with this family for an entire month while they would be teaching in that local elementary school, like I mentioned. So this was going to be the start of a lengthy stay where they were going to get to know this family very well. They could bond with them or so they thought. Sadly, that was never going to happen as the girls were only there for just a few days before they would disappear. According to journal entries from the girls, after they arrived on the 29th, just a few days later, they went to the school that they were supposed to volunteer at because they thought that was the day they were supposed to start. And they're met with this like very cold response from the people at the school. Apparently the Mm. volunteer organization that I think was based back in the Netherlands and they had facilitated this like work away program. They had a huge miscommunication and the girls were actually not going to be starting any work there until the following week. Oh God. I, I know, but I mean, it's not, it's disappointing. They, this is their words, not mine. They said it was disappointing in their journal entries, but it's not the worst case scenario. It just meant that they were going to get to be in this town for a little bit longer and that they would have a little more free time to maybe explore the city, like do some additional sightseeing. Like that's not the worst. It's not the worst case scenario, right? It's not, but gosh, that organization must feel like they have so much guilt on their shoulders now because i'm assuming whatever Mm -hmm. happened happened in this time it did yeah in this what was to be this like week off before they would start the volunteer program but i mean it would have been inevitable not that it would have that's not the right phrasing not that it would have been inevitable but i think they would have been set on exploring the location they intended to either way yeah i'm just more i'm more so curious to talk about this story and like I don't know, some of like the limited cast of characters they run into in the process because that may or may not have shifted what actually happened to them. We just don't know. Now, when exactly does this all go down? I'm going to take us to April 1st, 2014. So this is just, you know, a few days after they arrived in the city. The girls woke up on this morning and they had set their sights on traveling to go hike in the rainforest. This was near the Baru volcano, which is right outside of town. Now, according to the timeline, the girls would leave their home of the host family early that morning, and hauntingly, this would be the final moment in which they are seen by most people in town who knew of them. Reports claimed that witnesses saw the girls moving through the city on foot and then having a quick brunch with two male tourists who reportedly were also Dutch. Um, This was confirmed as one of the girls, I think, posted a status on Facebook saying that they met up with a couple of like Dutch tourists before they were going to go hike. When I heard that, I immediately zeroed in on like the two guys that they were with. I'm yeah. like, mm. mm-hmm. but I think they are completely absent from this story. I just don't want to set this up to be like they had something to do with this. I think it was yeah. like they were truly meeting up with like two other guys who were also like maybe they're on the same program and we're also going to be volunteering with them. Okay. And they just had they just had a breakfast. So there's nothing quite sinister there. So what exactly does happen? They end up leaving. They're seen leaving alone. They embark towards the El Pianista Trail in the rainforest, which is not very far from that city, like I mentioned. And there is some unconfirmed testimony to this story, and no one has ever been able to like definitively pin whether or not this is true. It's a small detail, but it's the story's always been told this way. There is testimony saying that the girls embarked towards the trail with the dog of the owner of the restaurant 
Il Pianista, which is, I think, where they were dining. And the dog was supposed to, like, just go with them, like, to accompany them, I guess. But that's never confirmed. And there are various reports that say it was there and it wasn't. There were also additional testimonies claiming that the girls also had a run-in with a local guide in their first few days in the city. This person has never officially been identified, as far as I could find. His name is not out there. Uh, Although, reportedly, he was a man, uh, and he was the one who offered these girls that he would guide them up to the El Pianista rainforest and walk with them through the trail as it was not recommended that tourists would embark on this alone. He also allegedly offered the girls to stay with him in his ranch, which was like very close, like I think outside of the rainforest. Whoever this guide was, he knew the rainforest, like the back of his hand. Yeah. But they declined staying with him because they didn't know him very well. They don't want to say like stay at a stranger's house. And they actually didn't even want him to guide them, even though it's not recommended that they would. It's not recommended to go alone. So they decline and they embark by themselves. He did warn them that it's important when they go up there that they do not leave the trail. So the girls embark. I feel like I feel like the energy is shifting in this and you can sense that something really Yeah, my about stomach is dropping. Yeah. Well, I just I mean, we've talked about this in previous episodes too, just like that incessant fear of the woods. This is something very similar. Yeah. The rainforest yeah. to me is possibly even more insidious in different ways how do you feel about that yeah well can I tell you I just went to a rainforest for the first time a couple of months ago and when Wait, I was where Port- was I what? When-, <laughs> <laughs> when I was in Puerto Rico catching COVID baby oh, when I was a- off air for three weeks <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> um we went into a rainforest and it is what's really weird about a rainforest is that like the barometric pressure and just the weather is so like it'll be raining for five minutes and then it'll be Mm -hmm. sunny and like you can hear all the birds and the wildlife chirping and then all of a sudden it's like like the cloud comes over and then it starts raining again and it's kind of like I'm trying to think of what it reminds me of it's almost like you feel like you're like in a simulation or like a video game or something. Oh my god. No, that's literally what it was um in the research because this rainforest is described as you're describing this rainforest. It's it's like this so this one because of the the pressure of the elevation, it creates um cloud forests. Have you ever heard of that? No. It just it just brings clouds very very low to yes, like okay. the mid-tree level, which kind yeah. of creates it's described as like almost a dreamlike place when you're in there. Yeah. And it it's looks weird like something it goes out of a in and out. Yeah. Yeah. Completely like the, fluctuates. The storms pass so quickly, but like when you're going through the forest, you're you've got this like false sense of like, oh my gosh, like it's so lovely, and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, like darkness, and it's just instantaneous. Yeah. Instantaneous, and it's very scary as like somebody that's because it's not like a typical storm. Like it's just it feels like the animals kind of start like freaking out a little bit. Like it's just it's. Very eerie. You're describing the rainforest cafe. I was going to say, <laughs> I was like, Am I a storm every 15 minutes, cafe? the animals start freaking out. I was like, <laughs> this sounds like the, the rainforest cafe. <laughs> they hit they hit the nail on the head, okay? <laughs> they did. Um, anytime that you and I happen to be near a rainforest cafe, oh my God, please, let's, let's make it cafe. a... Did we go to one on tour? Didn't we I did. insist that we went to no, one? No, we absolutely, you insisted. We were in um, San Antonio, Texas. 
Yes, we were. Yeah. Oh, my God. We went to the Rainforest <laughs> Cafe. Yeah. Good times. We'll have to go back. We'll have to so, go back. <laughs> I'll, I'll cinch us back to our story here as the girls embarked into this rainforest. Now, let me just give you a little bit of backstory about this specific trail. The trail is roughly a five-mile hike that would go through the mountains that are shrouded in woods in dense rainforest. This was considered a very difficult hike as, like I said, it was high elevation. So you really wanted to get up as high as you could because the lookout of this is really unique. It's a clear shot of the Continental Divide. Um, Wow. But for context of, like, timing-wise, how long it would take you to get to, like, the summit, like the peak, it's like three or four hours. It's not quite, it's not an easy trail. Mm -hmm. Now, it is considered particularly dangerous, like I said, because of the cloud forest. So the way that this is described, at high elevations, the atmospheric pressure creates very low hanging clouds, which creates like a dense fog throughout the woods. And it looks like something out of a nightmare. The trail is marked very clearly for what is accessible to tourists, and then there are additional signs that warn tourists not to embark on the unofficial trail. Now, the unofficial trail is a very steep climb that leads to a pathway where you can get to different villages and, like, indigenous camps that exist within the forest. So it is considered so steep. Let me just, like, paint the picture of how dangerous this is. It's so steep that if you were to go up and then try to make your way down, you have to walk on all fours to avoid falling. I couldn't even imagine that when I was reading this. Now the girls, we know there are a few things that we know right off the bat. They made their way to the forest and that was as far as the story would take us for the time being. By the time the sun had gone down that evening, there was um, a bit of unrest in the city as one of the first people who actually noticed allegedly that the girls were missing was the restaurant owner who apparently lent their dog out to accompany them. Because as the story goes, by nightfall, the dog came back by itself to the town and was not with the girls. Oh, that's so dark. It's it's like, yeah, it's it's honestly an omen. Um, so alarm doesn't raise just quite yet, like within the city. Um, but what's interesting is that right around the same time, the parents of the girls back in the Netherlands, they can almost sense that something's wrong. Because these girls had been in really, really close contact with both of their families. They're keeping them updated through texts like multiple times a day. Um, Which is why, I, like I told you, I was losing my mind when my sister went to Costa Rica. And I I insisted that she got a local SIM card. And I also, if you remember, I got Jordan's friend to give me his number so I could get put in contact with his family in Costa Rica. Because I was so paranoid because of this story. So... The girls are not keeping up with their family, and that's not like them. So both parents are sensing that something's a little strange here. Um, They actually hadn't heard from them after the morning of April 1st. So by the time we roll around to April 2nd, the morning of, the father of Chris Kremers, he sends a text to both of the girls, just seeing, you know, is everything okay? When neither of the girls replied that day, he just described this, like, pit in his stomach because he Mm. knew something was really really wrong and that the girls were in trouble now back in panama on the morning of april 2nd so nightfall has come and the host family actually doesn't even realize the girls aren't back the local guide the one who had like previously tried to sell the girls and like taking them up to the el pianista trail he went to the host family and he ends up knocking on the door to ask if they've seen the girls he said that they opted to like not have him guide them 
up to the Pianista Trail, but they had, like, booked him because he works for, like, a local, like, guide service. They, like, booked him for a different tour on April 2nd, but the girls never showed up to the meeting spot, and he can't find them anywhere. So he just came to the address that they gave to see if they were around. The host family searched the bedroom, where, of course, the girls were not found. And the local guide is actually the one who contacts his boss, and they then contact... I think, well, actually, I think what they first do is they do an unofficial search around the town because they're like, maybe, maybe it's possible the girl slept over somewhere else. You know, it's, it's only been about 24 hours at this point, but let's not jump to conclusions. But when those initial efforts don't turn up anything within the first few hours, they eventually contact the Panamanian government to get the police involved. Now, there was some initial resistance, and we've seen this story before many times. There was resistance from the police. Let's call it Panama County Police. <laughs> in, <laughs> just in allocating resources, like, to go look for these girls, because they assumed, they're like, oh, they're tourists. So they probably went off and partied somewhere, and then, like, I don't know, slept over. They just, they had really, and also they really had no idea where to even start looking. The El Pianista Trail, I mean, the rainforest is very big, so, I, I mean, it it was difficult for them to like concede to wanting to assemble a search party. So it would take several days. They actually reach, I think April 6th. That's like four days before the police actually even began to search the rainforest. Meanwhile, word had already gotten back to the parents in the Netherlands. So one of Chris's parents and one of um, uh, Lisanne's parents, they actually fly to Panama with a small team of investigators that they immediately hired to start to build search groups um, right right then and there in Panama, like in the town. So the search group is assembled, several of them actually, because now the parents and the investigators are working directly with the police in Panama. And actually the tour guide, the one who had originally tried to take them up, he kind of becomes like invaluable because he's he knows that rainforest so well. So he's like a resource for them. This search period would commence for 10 full days where every feasible inch of that rainforest do is combed through on foot. <sighs> they have search canines. They, they're they observing the forest through aerial search efforts. Now, all of these efforts are kind of like fruitless, but there's a bigger problem at hand here. Now, the search efforts are kind of inching into what is about to be the rainy season in Panama. It's a very like detrimental time of year to be in the rainforest mostly because it would mean like weeks on end of downpours, specifically within this part of the city. And because of that, I mean, it was like constant mudslides and flooding, and it actually became unsafe to search for the girls. So the search efforts are called out, like off after 10 days. The parents become very desperate, and they start offering anyone who had tips, any information at all that could lead to the girls, a $30,000 reward because it was like the girls just vanished into thin air. (laughs) Now, before I go any further, I just want to ask your thoughts on that, because what comes next is a very, very sinister break in this case. God, I mean, my gut feeling right now is that they're not alive. Um, And I'm thinking about what you said about the, like, indigenous camps and villages that were kind Mm -hmm. of off to the side if you went off the path and like if you if you went on the unofficial trail on the unofficial trail yeah and like if oh god i'm really i'm i'm i don't know i don't know what to think yet 
Yeah, I, I, maybe I should get into some of what they do find because I think this colors a lot of what we can assume happened, but also some of the evidence that's eventually recovered from when they do find their phones and their camera. Stu, oh I have never, I have truly, like, honest to God, have never gone through a case that has given me such chills. And I know everybody thinks that I'm like, I blow smoke because I say that. I, it feels like I say that a lot, but there really is something specific to this case. No, but you know what? I know that that's so true for you because, like, I know that for you to tell Mel, like, or your sister, for you to tell your sister to, like, you need a SIM card and, like, I'm taking this very seriously. Like, I know you and you wouldn't do that unless this case had, like, moved you to that, that level. Is, yeah, that is the ill and the symptom of, like, researching true crime. I'm just, maybe yeah. you've experienced this since starting the podcast is you become, like, your paranoia becomes very heightened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hold just, on. I didn't get any of that treatment when I went to Puerto Rico, so... <laughs> I didn't know you were going to be going to the rainforest. You made it sound like you were staying at a resort. I kind of didn't either. I didn't either. (laughs) Well, if I knew you were going to the rainforest, I would have done this episode before you left. (laughs) Well, let me get into the actual break in the case because I think you would find this interesting. Now, a break in the case would not come for a very long period of time. So we had that 10-day search period, right, where, like, they called off the search. The rainy season starts. They're like, "We, we just can't continue to look for these girls i'm sorry so then two and a half months later mid-june because they went to forget they went missing in early april after the rainy season is done there is an indigenous woman who is by the serpent river she found a blue backpack in the rainforest and turned it over to police now the bag was accurately identified as lisanne frunes now what was really odd about this bag was that it was found like i said near the banks of the certain serpent river which was roughly a 12-hour hike away from where the girls might have been when they probably went missing in the rainforest. The indigenous woman who found it um, was actually checking, like, the riverbanks, I think, for a rice paddy when she spotted the blue backpack. And she was absolutely sure, 100% sure, that she had not seen it there the day before. Like, she she goes to this river, to this location, almost every single day. It was not there. Oh, my God. So what they found inside the backpack and the backpack itself was just very, very suspicious. For one, it was completely clean. It did not have any signs that it was wet, that it had been waterlogged or any signs of dirt or or any like weathering after two months. It was like it was a perfect backpack that had just been placed there in the same condition as the day it, it effectively vanished. Inside the backpack, there were two cell phones, both belonging to the girls, obviously, Lisanne's passport, a water bottle, which was emptied, $83 in cash, and Lisanne's personal camera. Both of their bras were also found in that backpack, and these were bras that I think they were able to trace back through photos they were wearing on the day they went missing on that hike. Oh, my God. And again, everything found in the bag. The bag itself is in solid condition. It's completely dry because all of the electronics work perfectly. It's not like the bag was like waterlogged at a certain point and then dried out. Everything in there was functional. There was no dirt or damage. It just happened to appear like two months later in the rainforest. So the discovery of the backpack meant that police would immediately resume their search efforts in that portion of the rainforest because now they have like a very concentrated location 
near the Serpent River. Over the course of several days to weeks, while scouring that land, it did not take long for them to find another disturbing discovery. On June 19th, police announced that they had found the first of what would eventually be 33 human bone fragments scattered throughout those woods. Forensic scientists were brought in to assess these findings, and through DNA evidence, it was confirmed that these were the remains of Chris Kramers and Lisa and Froon. No. Approximately oh. 28 of these bone fragments came from Lisanne's body, specifically her left leg and her foot. Now, what was odd was the foot itself was actually found to be severed completely clean. And it was somehow still inside the boot that she was wearing on the day she went hiking. No. Very strange, right? For Chris Kremers, um, they were actually never able to locate the majority of her body. What they did find were some partial rib bones as well as a partial pelvic bone. Now, what was odd about this pelvic bone that I want to bring up is that it was almost completely clean, Stu. Like it had been bleached. Now, investigators and forensic scientists, when they first looked at that, they assumed that it was probably just decay and that it was most likely sun bleaching. But then they took a different look. And they decided this does not look like a natural bleach. It's way too clean. Like a sun bleaching kind of leaves a little bit of um, dried residue on a bone. Mm -hmm. It was concluded it was a chemical bleaching. A chemical bleaching of her bone. Additionally, and I'm going to give a warning because this is possibly the most disturbing of the discoveries. Okay something else that was found in those woods was a rolled up piece of skin which belonged to Lisanne Froon. Now, it's completely unclear how it was that bones were found because they had suffered, clearly, I mean, they were just bones, they had suffered severe decay, and yet a fresh chunk of rolled up skin was found near these remains. That's bizarre. It doesn't, it, I mean, timing-wise, it just, like, doesn't even make sense. It's almost like they were part of some, like, weird, like, pres- preservation or, like, body, um, what am I trying to say? Like, um, mummification thing or something. Like, like their oh, maybe, body yeah. was, yeah, I don't know. Something Even something that so was ritualistic? Weird. Yeah. Cannibalistic? Yeah. Something along those lines. I mean, it just timing wise, it just wouldn't make sense to find remains that were composed to the decomposed to the point where you're seeing bone and yet you're finding a freshly rolled up. That's the other thing we should talk about, too. It's disturbing enough to find fresh skin, but rolled up into a ball. That is something yeah. an animal cannot do. That is something that happens. I was just going to say that. Palms of a human. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I didn't want to go to the thought of thinking that, like, you know, there could have been humans that were indigenous to that area that did that to them, but an animal isn't going to leave flesh behind like that fresh flesh. No, that is very much, I mean, that is very much a theory. We'll get into like a few of the theories on this, but that is partially the thought is that something happened to their bodies that involved some kind of dismemberment um, or cleaning of the bones for whatever reason, but it looks like it wasn't all happening at the same time if we're finding bones two months later, but we're also finding fresh skin, you know? Yeah. Now, 
in the area where the bones were located. This is part of the problem of why <laughs> this evidence was collected, but then we hit a like a a roadblock with some of the police work. We'll call it Panama County. They did not do a grid search of this area, even though they found all of this sinister evidence. Like they typically you would section off everything so you could really like do a deep dive. And they also did not take soil samples. So that completely, you know, ruled out any possibility that they could prove whether or not these bones or these remains rather had decomposed there or whether they were moved to that location. Because if you can get a soil sample from that earth, in addition to the earth that's found on certain parts of the remains, you could effectively prove that the bo- they were killed someplace else and then yeah. the bodies were brought to that location. They couldn't do that because <laughs> the team just did not collect that evidence. But what's even worse than that, back to the backpack that was found, by the time the Dutch investigators got word of this and everybody came back to Panama to obtain some of the belongings in that backpack and take samples, specifically of the camera, they found that there were more than 30 different sets of fingerprints on the camera. Like, it had been passed around between Panama police who had, like, been looking at it and, like, trying to get it on and stuff. So they had ruined they had ruined any chance of collecting a sample oh to my prove God. whether or not, like, was it handled by someone other than Chris Kramer's and Lisanne Froon. So the fingerprints, though, are actually kind of the least of the concern because once they're able to get the camera on, there is something... Very disturbing in this memory card that I want to talk about. So the camera contained a massive collection of photos that were taken and kind of like chronicled their time with like getting up to the trail, which would be like invaluable evidence, right? Because you're literally seeing time stamped photos that show every step of the way of of them getting up to the summit. So these photos went a little bit beyond that and actually detailed part of why they never came back. The photos were timestamped, like I said, on the memory card. And of the first few photos that were in her camera, it showed that they got up to the trail. They reached the summit by roughly 1 p.m. that afternoon. This is the first day, the very first day they went missing. So it's like a whole three hours after they, you know, had left the town. The girls did not appear to be in any danger in these photos. Like they're taking photos together. Like they're smiling. They look very clear headed, like clear. They look like they're alone. Nothing seems to be off in the rainforest thus far then suddenly as you keep like sifting through these pictures on the camera roll there is a stark shift in these pictures at one point there is a picture of chris kramer's and it's assumed to be taken by lisan but it looks like she's like slightly above her and it's a very different photo Stu. it's um it's just very different from the ones that came before it chris kramer's is not smiling She's not posing. Her expression is actually completely shifted. And she looks concerned and deeply worried. But we don't know why. So while these early photos were analyzed by a forensic team, they believed that it was sure proof that the girls had made their way at least somewhat close to, if not right in front of, the unofficial trail. And eventually somehow just got lost in the rainforest that day. This would be one of the last photos of daylight, this one of Chris Kramer's where her expression has changed before we jump in time for a little bit. The next series of photos that were found on that camera were a collection of random objects in the woods at night. It's this haunting 
array of pictures that were taken in the pitch black of the rainforest and through rainfall of like sticks and rocks and like a plastic bag in the woods. And some of them are even pointed directly up to the sky. Like they're completely nonsensical. Now, it was initially believed that the girls, once they had kind of gotten lost um, and it got dark, they started to take these pictures. And these pictures were all taken, I should say, I think on a different day. It was not the same day they went missing. Um, They started to take these pictures of all of these um, objects in the woods, kind of as like markers, almost as if they were like moving through the forest and trying to keep track of their trail Mm -hmm. and like light the way to be like, okay, we saw this marker at this location. Now we're going to move this way. Let's make sure we don't see it again or like just keep their navigation going in the dark. Police also looked at the phone records of the girls once they were able to get the phones on. And the most notably, um, or one of the most notable records they saw was on Chris Kramer's phone, where it appears she attempted to call for emergency services on that first day at about 9.30 p.m. on the night of April 1st. So she first dialed 112, which is actually the emergency line, I think, in the Netherlands. But in Mm. theory, I think how that works is if you dial an emergency service for like of a different country while you're in a different country, it automatically reroutes the call to the emergency number of that country. Oh, that's Um, good to know. Yeah, super great to know. But the calls actually got much stranger. And I want to talk about this. As the phone records are kind of observed um, on both phones, it looks like the girls over the course of their time in the woods had attempted to make 77 calls either that or check their phones all calling for help so the investigators they basically try to map out like what the girls were doing on their phones because all of these call records actually span 11 days after april 1st is that not menacing oh my god so we know we they were alive at least 11 days well here's where this gets strange so not all of these attempts and these like interactions on the phone let's call them were to call for help that's where it gets really interesting stop it's it's like a constant series of um when they looked at like all of the interactions on the phone when they got some of some of like the deeper data it's like this constant series of back and forth where they try to call they get no signal they turn off the phone to conserve battery and then turn the phone back on to try to call again get no signal and the cycle continues and repeats day in day out all this time while we assume they're lost in these woods But here's where some of the data gets very, very strange. And I really want to zero in on Chris Kramer's phone specifically. Now, these sporadic call records, they would extend from the 1st all the way to April 6th. After the 6th, whoever had that phone in their possession was no longer using it to call for help. What the data showed was that they did not know the password to the phone, but continued for several days until the 11th trying to crack the password on the phone. Now here's where that that's kind of sinister because I immediately read that and I assumed I was like something might have happened to Chris Kramer's and maybe Lee San had the phone and she was yeah. trying to get the password in so she could call for help. iPhone 4s do not require that. If you need to make an emergency call, it has the feature where you can make an emergency call from the home screen. So it was concluded that whoever had that phone was not trying to call for help on it. They were just trying to get into the phone. Oh, my God. Something very sinister happened in those woods. So 
I want to color this a little bit more. We'll turn our attention back to the camera. That's what investigators did. They took a deeper look at some of the data on the memory card as they're going through the photos. Now, what was interesting about all of the pictures that were taken that night, the night when um, they were kind of sifting through photos in the woods in the rain, they were taken on April 8th. So this was a full two days after that April 6th period where it was marked that whoever had Chris Kramer's phone was no longer trying to call for help. They were just trying to crack a password. So eight days later, after they went missing on April 1st, someone had that camera and took all of those pictures. And like I said, these photos are completely nonsensical. It's as, like just of random landmarks throughout the forest. But like I said, the assumption was that they were kind of marking their trail as they were moving. Not the case, actually, once they took a deeper look. There were a total of 90 pictures that were taken of these things, and they were all taken over the course of a single three-hour period. But there were two photos in this lot, the 90-photo lot, that stuck out to investigators. For one, like I said, they realized that their initial theory that the girls might have been using the camera kind of to like mark their trail or like light their way if they're trying to get out yeah. was not correct. The pictures were actually suggesting that they were stationary. And they had remained in the same spot for about three hours, just continually snapping these 90 photos in the dark. And nobody knows why. Just an, for whatever reason, it's like they're almost trying to like illuminate around them as if something is around them to see it. Like they're being stalked. Oh my God. That is the scariest thing to think about. Like you're in the dark and your only light is if you're using a freaking flash fo- uh, camera. So you don't even, I mean, it flashes for a second, so you can't even really see what's around you. You, you have to see. take the picture, and then you have to look to the picture and to see to if there's something around you. Stop. I'm, like, ill. Wow. Oh, my God. Stu, it gets a lot stranger. But I, I know what you mean, though. Like, there's something about that that's just so unbelievably haunting to think that they sat, if we're assuming that they were the ones who were taking these pictures, they just sat in the woods, stationary, and took photos all around them in the dark for three hours. They think it happened between 1 a.m. to about 4 a.m. was when this, like, event, as they describe it, occurred. Yeah. Well, it's so clear that they were they were so nervous. If that was them taking the photos, that they were just not sleeping, just trying to keep themselves, like, in safety, I guess, trying to keep their wits about them. I know. Well... Let me talk about these two photos, the two photos that stuck out to investigators, because I think you'd find this interesting. Yeah. Of the two photos that police wanted to focus on, they specifically found one on this camera roll that appeared to be of Chris Kramer's strawberry blonde hair. The photo is disturbing because when you first look at this picture, Stu, it's like it's almost like a very up close shot of the back of her head, like as if someone took it from behind her. It's unclear, like, why would... I mean, if we can assume Lisanne had the camera, why would she take this picture? But if you look at it a bit closer, what people actually think this picture is, is actually a full-on picture of her face, but her hair is pulled in front of her face. No. And if you, make, if you, if you look very closely, you can kind of softly make out where her teeth are beneath the hair. It's like a... Like a as if someone put a camera up to her face, but the hair was just covering her face. And the hair is leaning, like falling from like the left to the right, almost like she's laying on her side, like she's laying down. 
Are her eyes open? You can't tell. You oh can't God. tell because, like I said, it, there's so much hair in front of her face that yeah, it, it just looks like it's the back of her head. Some people even contest this to this day and they think it's still a picture of the back of her head. But I think either scenario is strange, right? Yeah. Now, it's unclear why this picture would have been taken and why her hair would have been pulled in front of her face um, and why she would be laying down. But many of the investigators began to question if this was a picture of Chris Kramer's dead or alive she might have been dead in that photo so they then they then paid attention to another photo in the camera roll which kind of actually looks like a side shot from a cheek this is really interesting so it's like this blurred picture and it's super overexposed and you can't really quite tell what exactly like which angle it's coming from it almost like looks like if we could assume like Lisanne took it it looks like she took her camera with the flash on and she pressed the camera up to her ear and took like a side like POV shot because you just see like the side of her cheek and it's super overexposed. It's just a strange nonsensical photo. So weird. But this is not the only haunting piece of evidence that would come from this camera and what I think is like the red herring of this story. While investigating the photos, the team took a closer look at the file names because as each photo is taken on this particular camera, it is automatically named with a number. There is a missing photo, photo 509. Now, when these pictures are taken on the, cam- the Canon camera, automatically, like I said, it names the photos in chronological order. So they were able to kind of pin this out between 508 and 510 that 509 had been deleted But its placement is really interesting because it would have been a photo between that first photo that I was talking about, like the last one of Daylight, where you see the really stark shift in Chris Kramer's where her expression changes, and then the start of this like series of 90 photos in the dark. So what was photo 509? Now, in theory, this wouldn't be a very difficult thing to retrieve, apparently, because the Dutch investigators get word of this and... It's not hard at all, actually. If you take a memory card, you can bring it to hackers or IT folks, and they can pretty seamlessly retrieve deleted photos um, through some built-in data uh, that can just pull it back very quickly. So they thought they were going to be able to do that. Turns out they could not. It had been deleted on a computer. No. No. Meaning it was irretrievable. It would be impossible to retrieve that photo. How is that possible? Well, I guess my thought was that whoever did that, like if they did it that night, had a computer with them, which is so weird. Or, in the rainforest. In the rainforest. Or yeah. was it like evidence that was purposefully deleted? Like by, after the fact, after the yeah, camera was after retrieved? The fact. There's yeah. nothing to suggest that that is true. It's it's okay. believed that once the camera was secured, um, I think I think it was kept within an evidence bank and it was secured so that nobody could tamper with it. And okay. by the time Dutch investigators got to it, but even so, I think they would have been able to find that there was something that the Dutch investigators found that was definitive that suggested that this photo was deleted sometime while they were in the rainforest. It was just deleted using a computer, not off the camera. 
what was the missing photo 509? You almost wonder if like they accidentally took a photo of themselves or something. Whoever. Chris Chris Kramer. Oh, the, well. Like if there's a third party. If there's a third, but here's the strange part about that though. The photo sits in between the last photo of daylight and the start of those 90 photos. So for somebody to delete that in between picture after it was taken, like day of, then like several days pass and then the 90 photos happen in the dark where we assume the girls are still alone. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, unless they weren't alone. It's, it's just like such a dark piecing this together is such a dark concept to me. Cause I, it doesn't make complete sense. Yeah. I just wonder what that photo could have been or how it was actually deleted. Now that we all know, but I feel that it's like irrefutably true that someone had obtained that camera and deleted a photo for an unknown reason and then placed it back in the backpack and then placed it in a public location to be found. The investigation would ultimately go cold as there seemed to be virtually no leads that police could follow up on. And like I said, the police work conducted on this by Panama County had essentially botched the case from the start. So any of the evidence that they had collected kind of fell short. Like they just couldn't determine certain things because there were things that were missed, things that weren't collected. The families still remain without answers, although it is clear that these girls are dead. What really happened to them during those 11 days in the forest will continue to remain an unknown. And whoever obtained that backpack, how they were able to do so and delete that picture in the in-between of all of this is really the strange question here. That is the story of Chris Kramers and Lisa Froon. Before I'm going to jump into like a little conversation about theories, but what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, throughout all of it, my feeling was that they stumbled upon like a group or maybe like they were basically in uh, trespassers of a certain area of the rainforest Mm -hmm. and like could that have been why their bones were scattered about and like I it just it doesn't feel like an animal attack it feels I mean it's definitely not because why would their backpack be Place. Well, I actually have some additional evidence to share with you about that. So oh people God, thought oh when God. they found the bones, they were like, this could have been an animal attack. But typically when animals go after remains, like when they kind of, I don't know, start scavenging, there are lots of like nicks and cuts on the bones themselves. Like the bones are marred a bit. Yeah. These bones had no imperfections on them. Actually, and even under bleached. a microscopic level, they were bleached. So it was incredibly clear that there was a person or persons people who had something to do with this and then i guess my other question i don't know if you know anything about this is like why was that area like forbidden like the forbidden trails and stuff like was there any lore about why you shouldn't go over there was it just oh totally well i mean the girls had been warned that the alpinista trail this rainforest it's not very safe for tourists so it's not recommended that if you're going to go up there one that you would go alone that you would go without a guide. But two, it's just generally thought to be less safe overall. And whether that was because of like the geographical stuff with like the unofficial trail is so steep, like it could be dangerous. Or part of the reason is that when you go on the unofficial trail, like I said, it is effectively a bridge or a gateway 
to some of the indigenous tribes, which I believe are no contact. Like you don't, yeah. you do not go up there. I ha- I have a hard time imagining that the girls would do that though. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Do you think that they would have gone I, intentionally gone off the trail? I don't think so. I think they would have accidentally done it. But what I do think is really odd is that they, whoever did kill them, put their backpack back. Because well, like all of, all of this is odd, totally. It's so weird, but like I feel like if it was like an indigenous group or something and they did some ritual, I just don't see them like taking the time to go put the bag back, like with all the stuff in it. Like it's almost like you would get rid of all of it, you know? Well, also this is working under some bizarre assumption that the indigenous whatever indigenous group that we're considering could be responsible would have yeah. access to a computer. Oh my god! To, I to delete this picture, computer. Yeah, the computer. I mean, that is. Uh, I don't know. I have. I mean, I have a few like theories here that kind of get into some potential. But as you can imagine, like this case runs a bit dry. There aren't a whole lot of theories. There was actually one that was. I mean, I can assume. I'm going to say that, like, I would dispel any theory that's suggesting that these girls just got lost. That there's like no third party involved whatsoever. Because there was a forensic scientist who put forth a theory about these girls possibly getting lost and, like, injured in the woods. And then that's what led to, like, all of this. So what they were saying could have happened in this, this like, rainforest. There are these things called monkey bridges. And it's effectively, they're man-made, but they're, like, two, like, ropes, basically, on each side. And then a single rope for your feet to go. So it's basically Uh tightrope walking. You're just balancing on each side. They're incredibly dangerous. And in fact, so dangerous that even the indigenous who use these, many of them fall to their deaths. Because some yeah. of them like span like upwards of like 70 feet high. So this forensic scientist put forth this theory that they had reached a monkey bridge that was passing over the Serpent River where the backpack was eventually found. And they said that Lisanne Froon was possibly trying to cross the bridge fell and i i had never even considered this but i I, it's possible according to this scientist you can fall from a height at such an angle that it's not as simple as just falling and you break your leg upon impact you can actually snap your leg off of your body completely oh my god so they were suggesting that she fell possibly i don't know upwards of 70 feet down and then the impact was so harsh that she snapped her foot completely off her body in the boot and it got washed down the river, as did the backpack in this theory. I find it very far-fetched to believe. And then maybe the aftermath of that was that Chris Kramer's got down there to help Lee Saint, like if she was still alive or conscious. But I don't know. I mean, a lot of that doesn't add up for me. What do you think? Yeah. Um, but weren't the bones scattered, like, all over the place? Like... Her Mm -hmm. foot was found. Where was her foot found? I mean, it was near the Serpent River, but it was okay. It was definitely on land, like it was washed up on land. So there's no. I mean, there's still even no evidence that it like traveled through water. But also the skin rolled up into the ball. Yeah, that just seems so weird. I I, and also like, I feel like both of them would have had to fall, like or something. Like it just doesn't make the the theory that. Lisanne would have like gone down to save her or something or try to mm-hmm. figure something out. I think that both of these girls were killed around the same time. Like that's my gut feeling. 
I I actually wasn't sure about the timeline, which one of them might have died first. Um, I did run through a scenario. I was like, imagine if they both got lost in the woods and they continue to try to survive and like, you know, fight their way for several days. But about six days into it, five or six days, Chris Kramers dies while with Lee Sang and, and she just mm-hmm. has to stay with the body. And that's when all of those pictures might have been taken. That was a haunting thought to me. Wait. To think about. I have the same exact thought. Yeah. But even so, I mean, why would she be taking pictures of her if she's dead? Unless she's like truly going psychotic in the woods. Or just like like trying to. Yeah. Like trying to like make herself realize that like this is real. This is happening. Like she's dead. Like documenting it in some weird sick way like i mean they were probably extremely dehydrated I mean, i'm assuming chris kramer's if she died before lee saying it was possibly because she died of dehydration you can only go mm-hmm. a few days um, yeah with without water and the water in this rainforest was mostly contaminated like if you were to drink it you would become more dehydrated yeah you just wouldn't survive so I think that that's possible. And then I was trying to piece together. I'm like, well, how does that fit into the person whoever obtained Chris Kramer's phone who was trying to like break the password to get inside the phone? Why? (sighs) But not call for help? Is there any world where like she wouldn't have given her her passcode before she died? So she's just like. Oh, totally. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's totally possible. But even so, I mean, what is she trying to get into the phone for? She has access to call for help on the phone from the home screen. Yeah. Why is she trying to get inside her phone? Oh, God. Maybe it she feel like, like It doesn't even yeah. feel like it's her. It feels like somebody else. Yeah. But I we guess... have those eerie pictures, though. We have that picture of Chris Kramer's like hair. And then the one that we're assuming is of Lisanne's cheek on the same night of those 90 photos. And... Does Lisanne look alive? You can't tell because it's just the side of her cheek. <sighs> That's so can, weird. Yeah, Bo- I mean, both of these, it's impossible to tell whether they're dead or alive in the photos. Because let me tell you, if I was alive and I'm taking these photos because I'm like mm-hmm. trying to like keep myself almost alert or like document or whatever, I would be taking yeah. photos of myself just to be like, I am alive. I was here. I'm I was here, alive on this I'm real. day. Yeah. yeah. You're chronicling it. So it doesn't feel right that you're just taking photos of a bunch of random stuff like I would be taking photos if it were me and I Mm. was even like if the person I was with was dead I probably would take photos of like the body and a photo of myself and a photo of what's going on like as stupid as that probably sounds but just to like make myself real like feel like it's Mm -hmm. real and also if I die I want there to be some sort of documentation of like, okay, they were dead. I'm still alive here. And then like, but I don't totally. know. Maybe that's, too, maybe no, that's I think that makes complete. I think that makes complete sense. I'm just curious about like the state of her mind. Maybe yeah, she might've been delirious if she was yeah. the one taking these pictures. I just find it interesting to think that somebody clearly tampered with the memory card on a computer why those photos were taken and kept in, but photo 509 was not. Well, I do have, okay, so I do have one avenue here for a theory. 
I think I just wanted to talk about the possible involvement of that tour guide that we mentioned, because was that who you were suspecting at first? Yeah, I mean, it still has been in the back of my mind, like the very last person they saw. I mean, it's still possible. I did do some digging on this, and I was able to find some interesting information. I think he has mostly been ruled out. He was initially ruled out when they first started the investigation, because, again, he was, like, instrumental to helping to guide police through the search efforts. So if we, like, chronicle, like, when the search efforts were happening and when the girls were technically still missing, if we're assuming they were around for the full 11 days somehow, he actually, I mean, he was with police. So he was helping with the search efforts. Like there was a bit of crossover there. So he wasn't like in theory, he couldn't have been with the girls. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But Unless there is he was some... like trying to throw the scent off, but it's to- it's entirely possible. I'm just curious about like, if that's the case. So if he's trying to throw the scent off, but he's with police for the majority of the time during that search, specifically on the 8th of April, because that's only like what two days into the search that's when all of those strange photos were taken so i have to assume that if that's if he was with the police and there's no other third party but him possibly involved the girls took those photos for whatever reason yeah now the reason people tied this back to him for one he had been grouped into a lot of rumors and there was suspicion that he was not a great guy there were specifically tourists in the past who had gone with him young women uh who claimed that he was a sexual predator and that mm. he had made advances against girls now what's even more bizarre and coincidental is that the woman the indigenous woman who happened to find that blue backpack at the serpent river she's actually an employee of his she works <gasps> on his ranch stop So there is some suspicion here of foul play. Foul play is, of course, like the correct avenue for us to take in any scenario. But I don't know. I mean, they were never able to tie him to anything. But in my mind, I was thinking the only person, one who would know where the girls were going so they could be preyed upon, would be him. But two, would possibly have access to a computer to delete that yeah i don't think the indigenous groups did that totally and here's the other thing that they had a dog with them his dog he could have trained that dog okay he could have it wasn't his trained the the restaurant owner's dog oh 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 oh, yeah yeah the the dog belonged to like a restaurant owner um so he yeah he's completely separate from the dog okay never mind I liked where that theory was going, though. That's some creative <laughs> I was going to say, he could have trained the dog and, like, the scent, he could have followed it. Um, I was like, you're writing a narrative. I see it. I mean, Because if yeah, it's not that, that, what other angle do we take? Like, I don't know, because I feel like the indigenous angle, too, I was very hesitant to even say anything about it because I feel like mm-hmm. that's kind of a cheap shot at, like, indigenous like makes makes an indigenous group sound like they're like barbaric in some way and of course yeah of course like not like there are some groups that are like that but we don't know what these indigenous groups are like i know what you mean though it's a theory that assumes a lot yeah and like i don't want to take that route and i feel like i feel like to see two young women on that trail lost as a as an indigenous tribe or group, like I don't think your first instinct, unless you are like a 
barbaric kind of group is to like go kill them and like skin them like mm. i think your your first instinct is to go hide like i don't know that like stranger danger i don't want these the, i agree women the only around thing that the only thing that tethers this to some realm of possibility is that there was lore within the town that you don't yeah. go on the off trail yeah, because the groups are dangerous. So we don't know if that's true or if that's confirmed. That is only like anecdotal evidence that's come from people like townspeople. Yeah. They're no contact. You don't go there because they can be dangerous if they feel yeah. threatened. So I don't know, but I, again, it's, there's something strange there, whether that's true or not. It just still doesn't account for some of the digital evidence that's been marred. Yeah. Or honestly has been, you know, presented throughout this with the pictures, the 90 random pictures. People have even looked at those photos taken in the dark and people claim you can like almost see faces in the woods. Like they really? were being stalked. They were being hunted <gasps> by somebody. That. While we're okay, I know we're going to close this podcast soon, but I, I have yeah. to have you look at these pictures yeah. while you're on I, this I, podcast. I need to see them. Hold on, please do. Wait, should I send them to you? Um, are you like looking in the up? chat? I'll you what to search. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. Okay. Yeah, do the chat. Well, first, maybe we should look at. Should we look at the ninety photos? Maybe. Yeah. Taken in the woods. I mean, I won't send all of them to you, but you'll get the gist of like what those pictures looked like and how ominous they were. Oh, I wish I had all of this queued up. I didn't anticipate that I was going to, that I was going to say, no, I'm, I'm so here for it. Let's see. Mm, Okay. This is one. So again, like I said, some of them have kind of like certain parts that are marked out where it's like, can you see this? Does this look like a person? Does this look like a face? Because people have really leaned into this theory where they're like, they were being hunted in those woods which is chilling so this is the first photo i'm gonna send you wait how do i send you how do i send you this picture (laughs) can you drop a link in the chat oh my god wow this is a first yeah oh wait okay i think i do this oh i got it i got it yes okay Okay. i just had to select everyone instead of stew for whatever oh my god oh this is so creepy yeah i mean that probably connected you to like a whole a whole host of photos on google but these were the photos that were found on that camera just three hours of them taking pictures like this in the same spot that's weird okay oh god can i send you the picture of chris yes okay so like I said, this was assumed at face value. Oh, this is the back of her head. But that's strange. Why would they take that? They really do believe this is the front of her face. The hair is just pushed in front of her face. If you look towards the right lower half, like I said, you can see what looks <gasps> like teeth. Right lower half. Okay, okay. Hold on. Let me blow this up. I could even find you one where it has things traced. Okay. so unbelievably haunting i'm what the hell is this dark photo that i'm keeps popping up okay i'm looking i'm looking why can't i find the teeth 
Here, Help I just me. sent you another photo. Okay, okay. You can also apparently see a nostril. Oh my god, the two teeth. That's kind of what's setting me. Okay, this It's like photo one of those photos where like if you look so at it long creepy. enough, it's just there's something so dark about it. But if you look at it long enough and once it finally clicks, you're like, oh my God. Yeah. I'm gonna send you one more of um the side photo that they think is of Lisan. Okay. Hold on. Cause why would you ever take a photo that close of somebody's hair? Like just their hair. You know? Yeah. Doesn't make oh, sense. Shoot. I actually don't even know if I have this photo. So, like, I had found this photo, like, way back when on, like, a Reddit thread. Um, but it was part of the lot. It had just never been looked at and, like, evaluated. Let me see. I can send you the last photo. The photo of Chris Kramer's. Yeah. That is um, the last photo of Daylight when her expression changes. Okay. Let me see if I can find that. This is so unbelievably haunting. Oh my god, this is so. It's creepy. been a, a minute since I a minute since I looked up all of these pictures, so I'm a little overwhelmed. Um, yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Chris Kramer is the woods. It's so sad too to look at like the photos where they're like thumbs upping, like at the top, like at the summit. Yeah. So this is probably a bad version of this picture, but this is, I think, the last photo that was in the camera roll <gasps> of daytime before everything shifted. She looks lost. Yeah. Like, it almost looks like she's looking back being like, hey, like, I don't know where we're going. Well, it's just strange, too, like how far away it is. Like, yeah, Lisanne took this like she's slightly above her. It's just. It's an odd picture in comparison and in contrast to all of the others, you know? That it feels, it's reminding me also of like Diallo Pass where like mm, everything totally. changes. Totally. Yeah. Oh my oh, God. These photos of the dark that are like. Chilling. The random it's objects. Haunting. I, my stomach, like I, I, my, I wish you could see my goosebumps right now. Like full body chills like they're like off the side of like the freaking mountain i know it's just it's like very um as i look through them because i've seen like the whole 90 at some point it just like makes me i just feel like i'm there while i'm looking through them i'm like i just can imagine that they were in the pitch black of this forest animal sounds rain and they could have been so paranoid so dehydrated so delirious that they're just snapping photos because maybe they did think they were being hunted whether they were or not we don't know but it even just like how well this illustrates the paranoia and the delusion is just chilling. And just the thought of like trying to get a flash of light. So you know where you are or what's around you. Those poor girls. Oh my God. I know. I can't say that like, this is a case that has closure per se. I mean, it is definitive that the girls of course died, but these parents don't have answers really. I mean, I don't know if they ever will. All they can assume is that their their daughters were lost in the woods, but 
I, I think it's clear to say that something something else happened here that we just yeah. don't know about. Oh, this is another one actually I can send you. Yeah. This is the last one I'll send you of Chris. Um, I think this is another one that they, it was like right towards the end of the daylight photos where like, again, okay. the expression starts to change. It's different from the rest of the photos. Yeah. She's like, let's get out of here. Like, where are we going? Yeah. Well, Stu... That is the strange and mysterious and haunting story of Chris Kramer's and Lysane Froon. That's wild. You'd never heard of that. It's not, I wouldn't say that it's a popular like true crime or unsolved case, but it is an eerie story. It's also the kind of case that like any parent of a young girl would be like (laughs) shoving down your throat. Like that is so scary. Now can you can you understand now why yes. I was like having a stroke over my sister? Yes. yes, absolutely. Oh my god. And everybody thought I was like acting crazy. She thought I was acting crazy and I was like, "No, no, 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 no. Please be vigilant because Yeah. I was I was like freaking out about this. Yeah. It's so Oh, it's just so sad when you look at the daylight photos where they look so happy and then it's very clear to me. Oh, 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 and this article you sent me, you can see the labeling of the photographs yeah picture 508 the last happy regular picture the girls took happy is in quotes because it's the one where lisanne i guess is like looking back at the camera like oh chris, i don't know chris where we're going the camera oh yeah yeah, chris. yeah she's like i don't know where we're going like oh yeah. god it's very very ominous to look at oh jeez Creepers, I promise we'll we'll redeem ourselves with a, a lighter story next time around. But I did want to share the haunting tale of what went down in the El Pianista Rainforest. Oh my gosh. We haven't really done an international case like that, have we? No, we haven't. That was a really interesting case. Yeah. This might be, I mean, there are some like I don't know amateur docs that have been made on this that I think make it even stranger. It's it's really a story that it's interesting to hear, but I think it's even more interesting to watch because there are so many visual components that tell this story. Yeah. You know, like the pictures are really what sink it where you're like this is yeah, deeply sinister. Yeah. Creepers, it's, if you're listening, I would encourage you to look the photos up. Yeah, definitely. Because I think it them. colors this very very differently. Because the switch up from picture 508 and then you told me 509 is the deleted photo and then the yeah. very next photo creepers is like just a rock basically in the pitch black dark like Ugh. very clearly there was a shift from daylight and like chris looking back and being like what's going on where are we and then all of a sudden boom, we're in pitch black it's 1 a.m it's terrifying oh well thank you Miss Stu for joining me. Oh for this my episode gosh. Of creep time. Um, that was a sinister one. I didn't. Sinister, I Sinister. Mean... My ass hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Creepers. We so appreciate you for coming along on the ride. We are so grateful for you. Yes. Next week we're going to have a lighter episode. I think for sure. We'll do a little redemption hour. And again, make sure to follow the podcast. If you're not already turn on notifications so you don't miss an episode. And Stu, I'm going to see you next Friday. We'll do oh, it again. I'm so excited. All right, Creepers. We'll see you later. Bye, everybody. Bye, Creepers.